Welcome to Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini. Today we're going to talk about health. And you might think, wow, there's so many other things going on in the world. Why would you talk about health? Well, because at Winning Slowly, sometimes we don't get around to things. For a while. Yeah, and then we do, and it's fine, because <laughs> that's how we roll. And we have plans for upcoming episodes that you'll be like, wow. That was on point, right on time, and it will be total coincidence. Uh, but today we're going to talk about health. We're very interested in the ethical components of health, not particularly medicine, not particularly genetically modified whatevers. We're literally going to be talking about why taking care of yourself health-wise, eating well, working out, taking care of your body in very personalized, individual ways is important and ethical. So we got here because there was an interesting article in the New York Times that compared, it was summarizing the results of a study that compared the fitness and health levels of identical twins. This matters because, generally speaking, one of the challenges for understanding the relationship between fitness and eating habits and health is that people are very, very different. And because of the extraordinary complexity of human metabolism, it is really difficult to make strong, firm, clear statements about the effects of eating in certain ways or exercising in certain ways on your overall health. Things that work really well for some people don't work at all for other people, which is why, for example, you will see dietary fads and hear from somebody that, yeah, man, going paleo totally changed my life. And other people who are totally disciplined, faithful paleo people get nowhere. That's because the human body is complicated. Yeah, it changed their life in bad ways. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get yeah, to eat it's... the food I wanted, and I didn't get any healthier. Yeah, nutrition science is just a complete, total grab bag of wild and contradictory things because there's just so much difference between the ways that our bodies work and interact with food which is why you know some people have allergies and some people can eat like any number of things and never gain any weight and some people can't even look at a, at a biscuit <laughs> without gaining a pound like oi so this article then covered basically summarize that, okay, here are people who have the same background because they're identical twins who grew up in the same house and had basically the same kinds of workout habits or lack thereof and the same kinds of eating habits growing up. They're genetically identical, so we can rule out all of those kinds of genetic variations. And then over the past few years, for various reasons, normally just life circumstances being different, they're eating and exercise habits have been different. And in particular, their exercise habits have been different. Most of their eating habits remained pretty similar. It seems that the eating habits we established by our late teens and early adulthood seem to be fairly stable. They're hard to break, which has consequences. Depressing. <laughs> what they found was that basically they validated what we've thought for a long time, which is that exercise makes a really, really, really big difference. And not even necessarily being a super crazy fitness person, just some degree of regular exercise makes a substantial difference in things like cholesterol level and heart health and gray matter in your brain. 
Yeah. Apparently. How well your brain functions. And so this was validating, of course, for all the people who've been saying for years that you should exercise. And it got Stephen and me talking about this. It's something we've thought about off and on. Because exercise, especially as you go through life changes, can be a hard thing to work in. So, for example, Chris and I have both run half marathons. This is an empirical statement. <laughs> However, if you look at Chris and you look at me, you're like, wow, I know which one still runs half marathons. <laughs> because, you know, I, after running two half marathons in uh, 2011 and 12, I haven't done one since then. Um, and it's, you know, I've kept up with some running. Um, I've kept up with, you know, aerobics. So being active, doing things on a daily basis, but in general, my exercise patterns have gone from running four miles three times a week to doing 20 minutes of aerobics five times a week, which is different. And that partially corresponds with, uh, life changes and with uh, geography, i.e. it's hard to run four miles on giant hills. Um, Steven's from Oklahoma. He does. He didn't know what hills were till he moved to North Carolina. That's true. I, I called some <laughs> things hills, but I don't think they were actually hills. <laughs> and now I know better. So for me, there's been a lot of change just from, you know, my own personal uh, movement around the country and through the various requirements of my programs. So at the, when I was in a master's program the first year, I ran a half marathon because I didn't know anybody in the town. And so I just ran a lot. You know, that was what I did for fun. Um, whereas later in the program, when I was super busy, I didn't run a half marathon. Right. And I, I have found I've been running half marathons for about four years. And I'm slowly working my way toward doing a triathlon this year because I would like to have my joints still functioning in 20 years. And we're going to get to that particular bit here in a little. But, you know, over the last couple of years, my wife and I have had two children. And my freedom to run has diminished just a bit. And Well, your, my... ske your schedule on which right. you can run. Right. The... Yeah, that's a better way to put it. The freedom of my schedule for running has diminished substantially. And a lot of times when it's nice out, I put my daughters in the stroller and take them with me so that my wife can have a break now. Whereas when it was Which means just... his arms are pretty awesome as well as his <laughs> Man, my shoulders, they get pretty sore. I won't lie. There's nothing quite like pushing two girls in a stroller up some of those North Carolina hills. But we have both gone through life changes that have affected our exercise situation, and it has prompted both of us to consider how we make sure that, especially in light of studies like this, which remind us that it makes a really big difference and confirms what I've seen in the difference between when I am running and when I'm not for how well I think and how well I'm able to focus and so on. How do we make this a sustainable part of our lives? Because clearly we need to. Most of us sit at desks all day, and most of us therefore suffer some pretty serious effects from that. And we also live, if we're in America, in a culture that has some pretty unhealthy eating habits. And the combination of those two is terrible for us. And both generally speaking, but then specifically as Christians, we think we have a responsibility to treat our bodies in a specific way that values the good things that our bodies are and that stewards them well so that our bodies are still functioning well and useful and good 
when we're 50 and when we're 80 insofar as it's possible, rather than just falling apart because we've abused them so badly. And there is something to be said for the cultures of eating. Oh, yes. So it's not necessarily one person's problem that there are McDonald's on many street corners, but it's also, you know, interesting where those sorts of things appear and there are systemic problems that have to do with food deserts and with the ways that capital moves around various urban areas or rural areas and the availability of of healthy food and of fresh fruits and vegetables so there's a lot of systemic stuff that we are just kind of glossing here um, that we are not ignoring and chris and i have repeatedly said we're just going to do an episode where we talk about the individual and society and how they relate to each other um and it's on the list <laughs> we haven't done that yet <laughs> it's on the list we haven't done that yet we've got this a long isn't going to be that episode either this is not going to be where we start talking about how those things interplay but there is an element where this is not entirely a individualistic sort of issue right um, there are cultural factors here we're not ignoring that however we are focusing specifically on the individual aspects and we keep saying all these caveats because this is a really vastly complicated issue that affects literally how you be alive and whether you stay alive, which is, you know, I think probably the most direct uh, we've gotten to, you know, this is how you should live ethics wise, because it's on you. It's your body. In some sense, it is you. It makes this topic difficult because it's very personal as well. When you start telling someone, look, you have an ethical responsibility to be healthy, that can cut deeply. And so the way that mm -hmm. you say it and the way that you communicate that can be problematic. If you just walk up to somebody who's overweight, you have no idea why they're overweight. They could have a thyroid problem. They could have family health issues. They could have just a long history of wrestling with it and getting nowhere because their genetics are just wired that way and it's hard for them. And so... We're sensible to all of those concerns. What we want to say is not you should look a particular way, but rather you should be a good steward of your body as best you are able with the constraints that you have. We're not trying to get everybody to look super skinny here. Like, Goodness, I am no. definitely, I am definitely not a uh, a model citizen if we're going to be talking about like skinniness. But <laughs> we're also, I mean, we're but we're also talking about health, like. We're talking about being responsible and being active, and I'm not trying to lose or gain weight. I'm just trying to be able to you know, engage in activity. Um, and that sort of level changes for everyone, right? Like if you want to play pickup basketball three times a week and be good at it, you're going to have to do some sprints and running. But if you don't, then you know maybe you never want to run a sprint in your life, and that's totally fine. <laughs> Yeah. And and so when you hear us say at the beginning that Stephen has run and I do run and work on a, a triathlon and all of these kinds of things, in the rest of the show, we're not saying you should do those particular things. We're saying you should think about how you are caring for your body in terms of activities and in terms of intakes so that your body will continue to work and you will be able to do well with it over the next decades, however old you are. And that's the other thing. It's never too late to start being healthy. It's probably going to be harder if you have ingrained bad habits. Uh, 
yeah, so we're definitely not fat shaming or exercise overloading or any of those sorts of things. Fat shaming is wrong and making people feel bad about their body for the way it looks is not the goal here. That's that's wrong and horrible. What we are saying is that there's a difference between uh, internal uh, motivation and external motivation, and there's a difference between exhortation and critique. The best thing to happen was that everyone's internal motivations would suddenly say, yes, working out. But hopefully the the best secondary option is gentle exhortation, um, which isn't and is sometimes hard to distinguish from critique, um, which is another ethical conundrum that we could spend a whole lot of time talking about. So we're definitely hoping to to be more on the side of cheerleaders than on the side of bullies. So we're going to start by saying you should get more active, almost certainly. Now, there may be someone in our audience, if, for example, a relative of mine who does Ironman triathlons were to listen to this episode, he probably doesn't need to be any more active. But the vast That's majority probably of true. us... <laughs> the the vast majority of us could be more active especially those Mm -hmm. of us who have desk jobs and so Mm -hmm. finding a way to incorporate just a greater degree of activity in your life has a very salutary effect on your mental health and ability to concentrate we know very clearly now that just taking a walk outside is and doing this daily or at least multiple times weekly is helpful for preventing and reducing depression. We know that it increases your ability to function cognitively. We know that it decreases heart health issues. We know basically that getting up and taking a five-minute walk every half an hour, even just around your cubicle maze, is going to make an extraordinary degree of difference in your life. If you can tack on to that even just 20 minutes of more active motion, a a sustained walk or a short run or a little time on a bike or anything like that, that's going to help too. Calisthenics level cardio. Those things all contribute significantly. And one of the things to take note of is that you don't have to be the solitary runner like I am for the most part. There's no reason you can't just strap your kids into strollers and take a walk as a family. That helps. That is really good for you. And hey, it's probably also good for your family. Mm, yeah. But yeah, that's that's something I was going to point out is that one of the reasons that I stopped running half marathons is because I just don't run by myself very well. I am always trying to cram as much as I can into my day. And so for a while at the beginning, it was a nice escape from stuff and I would run and it would be great. But after a while, it... I would just think about work the entire time and then I would want to get done with the run and then get back to things. If I had had somebody to run with me, I almost certainly wouldn't have thought about work. I would have like thought about the other person or talked with them or, you know, at least been thinking about, I don't know. I think that having somebody would have helped. Yeah. And I I know for most people I talk to, having someone to run with helps. My wife took up running with one of her best friends last fall mostly just to have time to hang out with that friend. And she actually discovered for the first time in her life she enjoyed running, but she never would have come to enjoy running at all 
had she not had those half hour sessions just running and chatting with a friend and I remember she told me often it does not feel like half an hour when we're out there doing that and I think you see the same thing if you're on a bike ride together or if you're walking together when you sometimes it's really helpful to go be active without it being quote-unquote exercise and sometimes we yeah. fetishize exercise and we make an idol out of exercise instead of just saying hey for the sake of my health i want to go be more a little more disciplined and a little more active what's a way that i can do that that's just generally good for my family and my life and work that in or that's fun yeah or that's fun go play ultimate frisbee go play soccer go play badminton if that's your thing it's uh it's it's interesting that that relational aspect of working out or exercising or being active, whatever we want to call it, um, is is so important. I think it underlines both the reasons that we should be active, um, as well as the um, the ways that individualism um, sometimes doesn't work for us, because working out together, doing something active together is together time and that's healthy emotionally as well as healthy physically and and that's you know part of the reason why you want to be healthy is so that you can you are able to you know be with the people that you love and do the things that you love to do with them and then there's uh there's also the element that you know some of us aren't self-motivators in the same way that like external motivators positive external motivators are the the things that do it for us that are those motivators and so I think that this kind of narrative of the gym, of somebody going to the gym and working out and getting tough and buff and strong or whatever the, you know, the variable word is that's in right now. I think that narrative, which isn't usually true anyway, you usually have no. somebody with you when you go to the gym. But this narrative, you know, that's shown through visual culture, you know, shown through you know, Pinterest pins and all that sort of sort of thing. That sort of solitary alone workout culture is negative. It's almost derogatory towards like the way that people actually live their lives. And I think there's actually a huge opportunity here to push back against some of the kinds of decreases in healthy friendships that we've seen over the last several decades as parts of American culture have shifted and as we have increasingly suburbanized. And it's just been harder yeah. to make those sustained friendships because of distance from the people with whom you're close and a decrease in neighborliness, which we've talked about before. Uh -huh. There's an opportunity to form richer relationships, especially there are some things that are hard. I mean, when my wife and I go to a spin class at the gym and we're on bikes working our butts off for an hour, we're not talking much. <laughs> but there's nonetheless a sense of camaraderie there that's really good. And I know it has been a really fun thing for us to be able to do that together in a way that it would not be so enjoyable apart. Yeah, But there are also other kinds of activities that you can do, whether it's taking that walk or taking an easy run or bike ride or any number of other things, playing sports together, that help you build friendships, that help you deepen your friendships by doing something together, often by providing opportunity for conversation. And those are valuable things mm -hmm. that go beyond even the mere physical benefits and they can be a very helpful thing in buttressing some weak points in our culture. Totally. I mean, the uh, 
the the famous tome about what you're describing bowling alone is actually describing um a, you know <laughs> a somewhat physical some activity sort. yeah, yeah. Um, you know arm strength leg strength all that sort of thing i still feel like bowling isn't a sport but somebody well, in our audience is going to yeah <laughs> that's what i just i just defended you oh bowler <laughs> i just defended you steven's on your side i'm on your side 149 top score woo but uh there's like i was like i was saying the the connection between you know bowling alone and the you know sports together um, kind of community sports is, I think, an important one. Not saying that everybody should go out and do sports because sports, 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 <laughs> but that there's, you know, this sort of community togetherness that comes from being on an adult kickball team or an adult soccer team or, um, you know, even just pay, playing pickup ultimate frisbee in a park um, or playing basketball at the, the Y or at the, you know, the urban court or whatever. Um, there's definitely some togetherness, both neighborly, community, mm-hmm. individually, that exists. That's, we think, a good thing. And so whether it's, you know, going to the gym with someone or going and biking together or whatever it is, getting active. And again, like, I can't stress this enough. Like, it, the goal here is not even to just look better. No. Um, because That's it's kind of the least important of all of these things, in fact. Yeah. Because you can be very healthy um, in terms of a healthy lifestyle and not look any different than someone who is not being having a healthy lifestyle um, at any size. I knew, a, I knew a gal a few years ago who, on visual appearance, people probably would have assumed she was very out of shape. And she could run a 5.30 pace for a marathon. You're just like, what? Because we've come to evaluate people's health on the basis of their appearance. But I've also known some really thin people who literally couldn't run a mile. I've known some thin people who could barely walk a mile because they just were so out of shape. We're not talking thickness or thinness. We're talking health and activity and engaging your body for the good of your body and your mind and your community. That's really what we were interested in. And from a Christian perspective, this gets even more interesting to us in that there are there are exhortations um, about the body in in the Bible. Our our good friend and colleague uh, Matthew Anderson wrote an entire theology of the body um, in his book uh, Earthen Vessels. Earthen Vessels. That's right. I wanted to say it was something else, and I realized it wasn't as soon as I was about to say it. Earthen vessels. So, so Christianity has a lot to say about the body, and I'm sure Matt, if he's listening to this, is like, "Oh man, they're not going to do this justice," <laughs> which is true. No. We're totally not. Um, but we do want to key in on a couple verses that are, are interesting to us that that relate. Yeah. The I mean, first and foremost, you have the the notion of the the human body as a temple of God. First Corinthians six argues that in the context of not being sexually immoral. But when you start, you take a step back, you realize that if, if your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that certainly applies, first of all, there as Paul applies it to sexual immorality, but it also applies to the way you treat your body in general. And then secondly, First Timothy, Paul writes that bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. So he's not, and I think this is an important qualifier, Taking care of your body is not the most important thing in the world. Mm-hmm. 
but it's still valuable. Still valuable. It's still good. And going back to the very beginning and then looking forward to the very end, we see that the creation of physical things in general and the human body in particular are called good. And then the Christian hope finally is not for some disembodied existence, but precisely for a new embodied existence with bodies that are like these but not broken anymore. And so there's a sense in which our stewardship of these bodies is practice for better bodies. And mm -hmm. I, I'm really looking forward to hopefully doing an awful lot of running and swimming with that new <laughs> resurrection body. And I'm just going to keep plugging along with this not very athletic, but I can train it really well body in the meantime. And there's something to be said there that part of our difficulties with our body and with working out or exercising, that's part of the fall. The difficulties we have are some may be, you know, laziness, some may be, you know, lack of discipline, some may be um, genetic, some may be, you know, cultural influences, some may be broken mental patterns. Some of it is just the fall. So that's uh, encouraging. And I mean, it's encouraging in the way that acknowledging that that there is something better is encouraging. Mm -hmm. Like it, things are still going to be tough. Our bodies won't always do what we want them to do. Um, as anybody who's ever had a sudden unexpected health issue knows. True that. You know, we can't always tell why things are going to happen the way they will happen. And that has effects on how we take care and be active with our body as well. Yeah. So. The one thing we can do, though, is regardless of our circumstances, make a point to take care of them. And we think you should. We think we should. Before you go, um, we would like to point out another thing that has happened in uh, Chris's temporary sojourn in my home state of Oklahoma. The SAE chapter there has been shut down as a result of a racist chant that was captured on video. Um, and it's a real tragedy for everyone involved. And we feel total solidarity with the, the black population there at OU and throughout the state and throughout the country and throughout the world. Um, and we say unequivocally that this was wrong and, and vile and evil, this sort of, of speech. And we hope that OU takes steps to making a culture there that is more inclusive and more um, understanding and more aware of the ways that people in the world work and hopefully is less racist. And we, we also have, you know, sympathies for um, everyone who's been affected, um, whether they were on the bus or not on the bus, whether you're white or black. There were a lot of people who were affected um, in a lot of really complicated ways. Um, Chris and I had a long discussion about um, all of the very complicated things that, that are going to happen as a result of this whole situation for um, the university and the people involved. And um, it's all very complicated and difficult. But it starts with um, what we can clearly denounce as an evil action. The music that opened the show this week was Red by Mount Wolf. We got their permission to use it, and we encourage you to go take a listen and not to use it without getting their permission. You can find the show notes for this episode at winningslowly.org. And you can subscribe on iTunes or in your favorite podcast app, and follow us on Twitter at winningslowly. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>